It's a whole new year right here on Inside Jokes, and tonight we are celebrating the 60th anniversary of one of the most iconic institutions in comedy. I'm Dean Young, and we're about to go Inside the Joke. Welcome to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Tired of ordinary television? Don't touch that dial. SCTV is now on the air. Oh yeah, television like you've never seen it before, right here on the radio. I'm Dean Young. Welcome to a brand new season, a brand new year of Inside Jokes. And tonight we have some new friends of the show joining us in studio. And we're celebrating its 60 years of the iconic Second City. We of course have Liz Kozak in studio with us, co-author of The Second City, The Essentially Accurate History. Hi, thanks for having me in. So this this book sort of chronicles the entire history since The Second City launched back in 1959. It actually begins a few decades before that opening with the um, kind of the introduction of improvisation to the theatrical world and a group of University of Chicago students who kind of harnessed it for the power of art and comedy and eventually became the Compass Players, which was the predecessor of Second City, which was Nichols and May and... um, Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira and all these great people before it did become formally the second city in 1959. Well, and that's the interesting thing, too, that I want to touch on on tonight's panel as well, is the second city has not just bred, you know, the biggest names in comedy and in stand-up and improv and sketch over the decades, uh, but also a lot of actors and directors and writers and performers from all walks of life. A lot of people, I think a lot of our listeners wouldn't even realize the, the amount of people and the amount of household names that have passed across those second city stages over the decades. And not even necessarily across the stages. I mean, you look at the Mandalorian, John Favreau, he actually was a dishwasher at the Second City. He never <laughs> even performed there. So there's something literally in the water, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and there's hope for all of us yes. Canadian comics is what you're saying. We, of course, have Kevin Frank with us. Nice to be here. Thanks Artistic for me. director of the Second City Training Center. And we've wanted to have you on this show for a long time. We know oh, you thank have you. A lot of great stories to talk about. The amount of talent that you've seen pass across this stage over the years many of whom you've taught yourself and guided. Yeah, actually, I, I started as a student with the Second City in 1983. Right. Uh, by 84, I was on the stages at the old fire hall. By 86, I was uh, on my way to do television and radio. And in 88, I started teaching. And I've been teaching at the training center since 1988. And I've been the artistic director for 13 years now. Wow, so the amount of talent that you've seen pass across the stage here in Toronto and just in that company as a whole is, you, you know, you've met sort of... Everybody in the oh, last few decades. It's staggering how many artists come through our organization and go on to some really exciting things. You know, we see them every day on television or hear them on radio, but also behind the scenes. We probably create more writers and directors than we do performers out of our organization because of we've given the ability to create and to envision comedy and, and be resilient in the changes that go on in comedy. Well, and I think that's, and of course, we have one of those alumni, alumnas right next to you in studio here. Chris Siddiqui is with us. Hey, what's up, Dean? Of course. And I think, uh, and we haven't, I haven't seen you in a bit. I think one of the interesting things is, yeah, Second City is, of course, known for, you know, everybody knows there wouldn't be a Saturday Night Live without Second City. Everybody remembers SCTV, of course, here in this country. Uh, the late shows, there wouldn't be a Mr. Show with Bob and Dave. The list goes on and on. But writers' rooms in network television are so populated by people who have trained at the Second City or who somehow cut their teeth on that stage and in those writers' rooms. Yeah, This Hour Has 22 Minutes has constantly tapped our alumni to be their writers. And at any given time, probably 70% of their writing staff are Second City alum. 
Wow. See, it's a, it's a, it's sort of, I don't think there really is a comedy, if you can call it a comedy farm, a comedy factory quite like the Second City that has churned out so many performers and writers to the to the volume that, that Second City has. I mean, I don't want to plug my wife's show, but uh, <laughs> three-fourths of the Baronesses are Second City alumni, and they Second all work City together alums. on that stage. So. And I think, actually, Baroness Von Sketch, that's maybe the only new current show here in Canada that's sort of carrying on that tradition of, you know, we've always had sort of a big sketch show. Of course, SCTV is the hallmark one that came yeah. directly mm-hmm. from Second City. Mm-hmm. But even we go back to, you know, shows that a lot of us grew up with. Kids in the Hall is another iconic Canadian sketch show. And I think Baroness totally. Von Sketch is maybe the one show that's kind of keeping that tradition going right now. Oh, yeah. And yeah. breaking new ground. Oh, yeah. oh, we've got a Absolutely. new show, Tall Boys, that's really yes. hot. And those guys are trained by us and they're in our organization and been in some of our casts as well. Uh, and Bruce McCullough is their executive director. So it's all connected together. Yeah, you can't get much of a better pedig- pedigree as a Canadian comic and performer than, you know, learning from one of the kids in the hall. And so much of the group success, I think, comes from the fact that Second City is by nature such a collaborative place that if you don't know how to play nice with others, you're yeah. not going to succeed there. So that's going to really lend itself well to the writer's room environment and working together as a team and kind of coming up with the ideas collaboratively and building on yes anding each other. Absolutely. And I mean, we'll get into more of that after the break, but there really is, you know, in stand up, it's sort of this whole idea of being a lone wolf and you're out there to just become your own star, become your own name. In the second city, it's it is it's people writing for each other and teaming up and writing with each other, and you're always playing off of what your partner or your your other cast members are doing. There is no sort of one standout person that the focus is just on them. It's always about the cast and it's always about ensemble, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to get into some of the stories and some of the memories we have in this book. We'll be back with more of our 60th anniversary second city panel right here on Inside Jokes, Global News Radio, six forty Toronto. Hey, I'm Adam Grow, the Cash Cab Guy, and you're listening to Inside Jokes on 640. It's Inside Jokes featuring Liz Kozak, Kevin Frank, and Chris Siddiqui. That's my best Don Pardo. Great. That I'm going to bang on. I did. I actually, I got to record a voiceover with him once for a project I was working on. And I was, oh, I've so wanted to make him say my name. And I just, I couldn't do it. And I regret it because he, he passed away shortly thereafter. And. Oh. What was that? What, why? Why did I not just ask? That's it like, like cost anything because you're extra. so starstruck. I, yeah. yeah, that's like ringtone for life mm-hmm. permanently. My best Don Pardo is just going musical guest <laughs> Jumba Wumba. It's <laughs> like doing that. Just sounds good. You know, that's a very specific time and place. <laughs> that, totally. that reference, but I know he said it at some time. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. when. He, w- he probably did. Probably yeah. did. Literally just once. But that's it, for sure. So we have, so this book, The Second City, Essentially Accurate History. So there was a 50th anniversary edition of this book, but now we're in, oh, and 40 as well. Mm -hmm. And now we're just 40. You skipped 20 years, yes. You skipped 20 years. Yes. So now we're back with the 60th anniversary of Second City, uh, which is huge. I mean, I, I don't think there is an institution like that in comedy. I don't think that that's it. Second City is sort of standalone in that way. 
I think so. And it's hopefully it's not going anywhere. Well, actually, I should say it is absolutely going somewhere because the Toronto Theater will be moving at the end of the year. So yes. that's very exciting sure. for us. What yeah. are our, and of course, I mean, as you know, people, this is so close to home for you. I mean, Kevin, you, of course, you've been teaching at Second City for over 30 years now. You're the artistic director of the training center. What's What's the feeling on that, by the way, moving from this sort of iconic building into a new home? I mean, it's representative of just refreshing things in a new era and all that but well we have we have many feelings about it we're very excited about a new opportunity to grow and shift and change and i think that's why 60 years is is so attainable for our organization because we've completely changed from the way we started in 1959 imagine 1959 not that far from the end of world war ii yeah the world was completely different now we look at the world and it's 24-hour news cycle and and twitter being 11 years old it's completely changed and we've changed the way we teach and create content so Moving into this new space and creating a full complex where we're totally integrated with the theaters just made a lot of sense. Obviously, there's some things that we will be sad about leaving behind. For instance, we held on to the original stage from the old fire hall that John Candy and Dan Aykroyd actually started their comedy careers on, that wooden stage. And we've installed it in every training center since on the John Candy Box stage. So we'll be taking that to the new location so that we have a little bit of the old fire hall following us and supporting emerging artists the way it has for, well, in Toronto, over 40 years. And also in Toronto, it's moved like, this is a kind of a cool history too. This theater has moved from different points in the city to just kind of establish new. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy to think, I mean, the first location on Adelaide Street lasted less than a year because there was no air conditioning, no liquor license, like no no audience. So, I mean, when you think about that humble beginning to now kind of crafting this really state-of-the-art facility with a sleek bar and this, you know, these great stages and everything, it's... Pretty cool. You know, we think about the fire hall. We're all romantic about the fire hall, but that was a the oldest fire hall in the city of Toronto. It <laughs> yeah. cost us a year, a dollar a year to lease it, hmm. but the roof leaked oh, and yeah. it had low electricity, so things would shut off, and it was haunted. So <laughs> we, you know, we were so romantic about it, but a lot of us were kind of happy to get yeah. out of that space. Right. So all of the comedy, none of the ghosts. <laughs> right, yeah, that's, that's it. it. There but you a go. little bit of asbestos. There's right. still Just a little a, bit of asbestos yeah. for taking from place to yeah. place. Just enough to add character. Exactly. Right. That's right. That's but, edge. but even that point of, you know, starting from the roots the way it did, you know, a group of students, and then it sort of became this place where players would get on stage and work with this stuff together. Now the actual, the training center has become such an institution in comedy. I mean, that's that's a pedigree now to get to get a job in a writer's room or to go off and be an improv performer or a stand-up or sketch. It really has become, it's, it's comedy university. And not City. even just comedy. I mean, and Kevin can speak to this too, but the amount of ground that we cover now with uh, in the business world, with yeah. CEOs, people in their jobs, um, people suffering from anxiety, people on the autism spectrum, veterans, caretakers, educators. I mean, the implications that we've found that improvisation can have on day-to-day, life, like improving the quality of life skills are astronomical. Absolutely, because it sort of strips away these walls of of sort of social anxiety and discomfort. I think it just makes you a more confident speaker and and just sort of enables you to just sort of open up to people more. I mean, we've talked a lot on this show about how important it is for stand-ups and sketch performers to take a stab at improv and, and try learning it just to sort of 
get outside of their comfort zone. But I think this is essential in all walks of life, really. Absolutely. Uh, You know, we create a brave and nurturing space for people to step outside their comfort zone, no matter what they're working on, as long as they can feel supported and unjudged, they can push to the outer limits. And so that can be applied to any part of your life, whether you're a caregiver in the medical field, uh, an engineer that's developing new technologies, or an artist that's creating content. Uh, and that's the fundamental tools of improv is a brave space to step outside your comfort zone and take risks, embrace failure, uh, collaborate with others, don't be precious about your ideas. All those things just work everywhere in life. And I think for a lot of people, that's akin to like skydiving for the first time. I think a lot of people are so terrified of that experience of getting up on stage and just sort of letting go and just rolling with it. How many, I mean, what are the reactions to people coming up to you afterwards going, oh my gosh, I never thought I had that in me. I never thought I'd try that. If I had a nickel for every time someone came up and said, this changed my life, I would have a lot of nickels. (laughs) I'm just saying it out loud right now. You would have an annual salary in Canadian comedy. (laughs) We're going to get into more 60 years of Second City right here on Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, this is Ali Hassan and... uh You really can have it all if you're listening. Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Oh yeah, welcome back Canada. You are tuned in to Inside Jokes right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Brought to you, of course, by our good friends at Hakeem Optical. What's our new cell line, Vince? Hakeem Optical... Uh, Even if you're sitting in the back row, it's going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Just rolls off the tongue. Just rolls off the tongue. That's our new Hakeem Optical cell for 2020. Uh, We have a panel celebrating 60 years of Second City, the iconic Second City, in studio with us tonight. And, of course, uh, this fantastic book, The Essentially Accurate History of the Second City. I didn't want anyone to sue me. You didn't want anybody to sue me? Yeah, so I was like... Essentially accurate. It's true-ish. Yeah. But I have like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, I mean, and, you know, even our listeners, everybody's familiar with sort of the household names that have come out of Second City over the decades. Of course, there would not be a Saturday Night Live without Second City. Here in Canada, we, of course, some of our biggest comedy icons have come across that stage. Of course, the cast of the original SCTV, Catherine O'Hara, who did a forward for this book, mm-hmm. the late, great, great John Candy. I mean, the names go on and on and on. Uh, but I want to get into what are some of the more, you know, putting together this book and just all three of you as cast members and as writers and, and just being so close to this comedy brand what are some of the more memorable moments that stand out to you guys over the years your experiences with second city like what's some of the stuff we touch on in this book yeah i'd like to hear what you guys say about that being people who were audience members and saw it enough you know because i haven't been on the stages like you two to say i'm gonna chase this (laughs) the first show i saw i was in high school and we were making a, a trip to second city to watch the show and I was in the audience, and on stage was Tony Rosato uh, and uh, Jane Eastwood and Ben Gordon. They were yeah. all in the cast. And my buddy sitting next to me gave me a little elbow, and he said, you could do that. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you do that all the time. You just make up stuff, and it's really funny. You could do that. And it hadn't crossed my mind. And a number of years later, he was in the audience for my opening night on the fire hall stage uh, in the cast. So it was pretty fun to be able to bring him to the opening night show and, and, and say, yeah, you were right. I can do this. 
it was a great experience. Then later on, hey, to, to occupy the mic here, but later on, I was in the Tourco and, uh, or actually just previously, and they were doing a 10th anniversary and Marty Short was in the cast and he was going to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Toronto. And uh, they tagged a couple of us in the Tourco to be in the scene with him. And I thought, yeah. I'm going to be in a scene with Marty Short. This is amazing. So I go backstage, I knock on the door, I open the door, and I'm ready to be like a really broad character. And he takes out an imaginary gun and he shoots me dead. <laughs> and I drop dead on the floor. And for the rest of the scene, I'm laying there thinking, I'm in a scene with Marty Short. <laughs> the credits still stand. Yeah. I mean, how about you, Chris? What's one of your most memorable moments? On that stage. On that stage? Uh, man. I don't know. There's, there's, there's been so many, Dean. <laughs> I think it's just actually entering. You know, my most memorable moment was like coming to... Because as a kid, I didn't have the closest relationship to SCTV. I think I was in the more of the era of SNL. So I yeah. was watching that Mike Myers, Dana Carvey kind of era, yes, right? Yeah, that's what but I, I always knew of these people. Yeah. Catherine O'Hara's and the Eugene Levy's and where they came from. And I didn't have a friend to say, you could do that. I just sat there and watched, said, I could do that. <laughs> so then in high school, Kathy Greenwood came and Nick Neal and somebody else. And they were doing a little improv workshop. And uh, I started doing scenes with them and talking to them after. And they were like, yeah, come do the You're blocking. You got to watch that. And I was like, oh, yes, terminology. Okay. So then when I was older, I was going to film school. And I was like, this is too much money. But comedy school is all right. So I signed up for classes there and just started doing it. And Kevin Frank was my level A teacher, my very first teacher. Mm -hmm. And at the time, Kevin Frank was the host of Kid Street. So that's how I knew him. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right. And then it just kept going. And then it became, like you say, comedy school. And then you kind of just keep going up, going up. And from watching shows and doing all this old material when you're doing education company for kids and then the touring company for adults, you're doing all this archive material. So you're doing all these old... Tina Fey scenes and Adam McKay scenes. Yeah. And, and then you get to do the thing and then you get to write and then you start going, how do I do this? How do I make comedy? And then you just do it with the people that you're with. And uh, it's really kind of, what I remember though, very much so, is the 50th anniversary, 10 years ago, when I was yeah. new to the touring company and I got to go down there and be in an audience and watch Stephen Carell and Stephen Colbert perform in a scene and then turn around and see Catherine O'Hara and meet people like Scott Adsit and just kind of realize like, I'm at this point in my life right now. I can be in a room with these people. It was pretty mind-blowing. Which is, yeah, when you think about the the fact that you get to go, well, I'm 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 an alum with these people, these these sort of household names in comedy, these yeah. larger-than-life people. You share the same, because these people know the gauntlet. You've all run through the yes. same gauntlet, right? So you can kind of, the heydays of the Warriors talking about the same battle battlegrounds. And they all had that same moment at one point that both of you experienced, which is that feeling of the first time you step onto that stage and just sort of plow through whatever terror, I'm sure, is, is <laughs> in your heart the first yeah. time you do that. Yeah, and we talk about that. We talk about that first moment when we step on stage and we share it. And you're right, every alumni that's gone through it knows who's been on that stage before them and the bar that they've set so high that you don't want to let that down. It's so. much like a theater company, too, so yeah. you're understudying for a lot of people. So when you have to memorize everybody, somebody else's lines and movements and dialogue and this, and you step on that, the terror kicks in there. And then there's a whole new terror when you step on the stage and trying your own material. Well, I think that Liz touched on it earlier, too, how collaborative that environment is. Because I think when people get into stand-up, for example, there's always this sort of ego 
involved where it's like, well, I'm going to say stuff nobody said before, man. And that's, you know, But Second City, it's all about who you're working with, who's in that writer's room with you, who's on stage with you. And totally. you sort of have to check yourself at the door in a way and just trust in the process and trust in the people you're with and just give yourself over to that. You know, Absolutely. you sort of you're learning who what your voice is as a performer and as a comedy writer through the people you're working with. Oh, you're not we going know. It alone. <laughs> if there's one thing we know. It's that. It's that. <laughs> and that's what they teach us. They teach us our point of view. So yeah. you may be a new alumni and many of the scenes have been done before in co- topics, but we learn what our point of view is. And that's what's so valuable. Absolutely. We'll come back with more 60 Years of Second City right here on Inside Jokes, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Hi, my name is Amanda Joy from Second Gen, and you are listening to Inside Jokes on 640. That's what it's on. There's the tie-in right there. (laughs) That's it. Everything has a little Chicago in it tonight. We're talking 60 years of the second city. We, of course, have this book, 60th Anniversary Edition, The Essentially Accurate History of the Second City. Uh, And we have a panel of guests joining us. We have Chris Siddiqui, Kevin Frank, and Liz Kozak. Welcome back to the show, you guys. Thanks. Well, I wanted to bring up, um, we were were discussing kind of our... I knew I could do it when or who gave us that yes. little pep talk moment. And, you know, for Kevin, it was his his buddy in high school. For Chris, no one. No one. <laughs> Just you. Me. Just pure, for unfiltered me, Chris. Well, I was, when, you, when you brought up your story about being on stage, so mine was actually Martin Short, um, yeah. which when I was 14, I tried out for a high school play. I didn't get in. And I was devastated. And a few days later, the phone rings in my house. And my mom's like, there's an adult man on the phone for you. <laughs> and I pick up the phone and I hear this voice say, Elizabeth, this is Martin Short. And it was totally his voice. He had been, he was performing in a play in Chicago at the time. And my dad, because we were obviously huge fans, because who isn't, wrote him a letter and sent it to the theater and said, my daughter's really sad she didn't get into her production of Our Town. Could you give her a call? <laughs> give her oh, a pep wow. talk. And he did. And, he, did. and yeah. he called me and he was like, you know, you just got to stick with it and you can, you know, you can do it and just don't give up and keep trying. It was terrible advice because I'm a terrible, terrible <laughs> actress. <laughs> but I was like, how cool is this guy? Like, I want to work yeah. in this world. And I you know, I've pursued entertainment and worked as a producer and a writer at all these years. So it was amazing at the takeoff. A benefit was the first time I butted into his conversation with Andrew Alexander, our our big boss. And I was like, do you remember 25 years ago calling <laughs> that kid? And he was like, it's just weird enough that I, I do remember it. So awesome. it was nice to be like, oh, now cool. we're co-workers. Oh, yeah. Did he that's... recommend hiking your pants up really high? <laughs> Does it work for well, him? Play the triangle. All of our pants are high. See, that's a Canadian celebrity for you right there. Oh I was my just going to say, it's Canadian, Canadian celebrities, thing. they'll phone your house yeah. Yeah. and give you words of encouragement. <laughs> yeah. They'll do that, right. no problem. And I wanted to touch on, so there was, they did this uh, SCTV reunion special that was directed by Martin Scorsese. Yes. So once in a while, he stops 
making four-hour mobster movies where he tries to make. <laughs> no, De Niro ours was look a four-hour mobster movie too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's. I mean, Scorsese's been on this this streak over the last uh, the last decade, really, of making a lot of new music documentaries and just sort of profiling artists that I guess he himself is a fan of. Mm-hmm. What was his? perception of SCTV and of the Second City. I mean, wh- how much of a comedy fan was he? I don't think you would know he this about him. He was a big fan of it. And I, I I, think this was sort of born out of a conversation he had with Catherine O'Hara many years ago where he had mentioned his fandom of the show. And that's sort of what spawned the idea. So, I mean, it was incredible to get that cast together on the stage at the Elgin Theater and to see how that electricity and that chemistry immediately just jolts through all of them. Um, Scorsese was you know, mysterious and cool and creative. And his team was insanely approachable and collaborative and I guess way less intimidating than I would have ever expected. Mm. So it was actually a really, really great experience. And we're excited to see the finished product hopefully later this year and finally get to see this thing. Which is really cool. I mean, that speaks so highly of that cast. The fact that Martin Scorsese and his, you know, his team would come in and they didn't turn it into the Martin Scorsese show. This was something that he very obviously wanted to be a part of for a reason. Yeah. I mean, he really let them take center stage. I mean, he did come out at the end, I think, and kind of waved to everybody, but yeah. it was not about him at all. It was about that cast and, you know, their storied history and their past and their relationships. And you see them still working together today. I mean, Schitt's Creek is like the best show on TV. Mm-hmm. And that is a comedy partnership that was born decades and decades and decades ago at the Second City. Well, and I think we, you know, in Canada, we, of course, we, we always take, and we've talked about this on the show a lot, but we always take ownership of our own comedic talent once they've struck it big in the States. I mean, we have our Jim Carrey's and our Mike Myers and, you know, the list goes on and on. But that's only once they make it big in box office in the States. We have a hard time sort of recognizing our own when they're here. And I think SCTV was one of those rare moments in Canadian showbiz, especially where this iconic cast and this hit TV show was born here in Canada and got this homegrown following that we don't really see that often. I mean, what do you guys think was was the magic behind that time and place. I mean, obviously, the talent of that cast, but I don't think there ever will be necessarily another SCTV. Well, Andrew Alexander has a great eye for talent, and he's a good deal maker. So he found this cast and knew that they worked so well together that he wanted to create something special for television. He also worked a really good deal with with Global and had them shoot that show in Edmonton. Uh, and because that was the cheapest studio to shoot it in. Well, when you send everyone to Edmonton in the winter, no producers are going to go visit the set because no. <laughs> it's Edmonton and it was 40 years ago. So they had the freedom to just play and create and do some really bizarre things that probably would have been stifled if too many too many executives were walking through the studio at the time. And I think that's how they found that magic as they were left alone in a small town to shoot and create whatever they wanted. And they became so big, they came to the Global Network here in Toronto to complete shooting. But that first year in Edmonton really gave them their personality and their freedom to create the wonderful, bizarre world that they did. Wow, so go to Edmonton to create the best comedy. 
Or just go see a, a, a version of Godspell, apparently. Yes. And like yeah. 90% of that cast Everyone. becomes SCTV, right? right? Uh-huh. Including Paul Schaefer was the musical director yeah, of that right. Godspell. Mm-hmm. And Paul Schaefer, one of my only hometown celebrities from Thunder Bay. That's it. We have uh-huh. Paul Schaefer and uh, probably Aurora like Brown. a dozen hockey players. And Aurora Brown. <laughs> there you go. That's what we have. We're going to come back with more 60 Years of Second City right here on Inside Jokes, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Robin Duke, and you are listening to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio, 640. Oh, yeah. Welcome back, Canada. You are tuned into Inside Jokes right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto and, of course, coast to coast on the Global News Radio Network. And we're celebrating 60 years of Second City here in Toronto and, of course, in Chicago and the amount of people that have passed across that stage over the decades. And we were talking earlier in the show, not just well-known comics, of course, that's who most people know from Second City, but the amount of writers and directors and producers and performers from sort of all walks of life that have passed through those writers rooms and passed across those stages and gone on to build their careers i mean it really has become an institution not just for comedy yeah when you think about (laughs) when you think about like ronnie james who's had an amazing career in stand-up and he's such an iconic uh i was his understudy uh when he was on the second city main stage which terrified me because you know how fast he speaks and how he writes so all his parts were insane uh however uh, he was just an amazing artist who just created more material that we could fit in our shows and that was the reason he went off to try out uh his hand at at stand-up and storytelling because he was an incredible creative guy and he's a rare animal actually too in stand-up i feel like he very early on figured out somehow a way to just blaze across the country on his own and do tours that nobody else would sort of give him the opportunity to do so he just went out there and sort of built the ron james brand on his own but One of many, many examples that have passed across that stage over the years. One thing that Second City has always been known for, uh, it's certainly still true to this day, is because you have always a young cast coming up, you have new writers in the writer's room, it's always so reflective of what's going on in the world around us. So Second City is always that mouthpiece for what's happening in politics and pop culture and social changes which i mean right now i feel like comedy right now has a tendency to be very politically woke you know i mean there's because that's that's what comedy is right we reflect what's going on around us second city was always sort of i think in a lot of ways leading the pack with talking about whatever change was happening around us how much do you guys think that's the case right now i mean there it's sort of a polarizing time in comedy there's a lot changing in the world and there's a lot of stuff people are talking about on stage do you think Second City is still sort of leading the way as far as satire goes? Well, that's a, I don't know, leading the way. I don't I think it's all adjacent maybe or, yeah. or all beside each other cuz maybe maybe it was leading the way when cuz I mean back to what we were talking about in the when the I think the reason why Lightning in a Bottle worked so well in the in the 70s in the old SCTV show cuz no one had seen it before. Yeah. So it was a yeah. big new thing that people really wanted to take advantage of. And when you put you, you sort of a put what we've learned in our POV and our ideas of 
taking things what we're inspired by from around the world. I think that that is really, I mean, again, look at people like Stephen Colbert. He made a whole show on just being picking a point of view and being that character for yeah, that entire yeah. show. So I I don't know if it's it's necessarily the idea of leading or just the idea of it's sprouted so many of these different ideas of how we can talk about things politically, whether it be in sketches or whether it be in a whole talk show format. So, no, you know what? I'm doubling back. Yes, it is <laughs> yes. leading. It's <laughs> yeah. totally no, I leading the charge. I think it's very charge. interesting because, um, you know, there's kind of this attitude sometimes of like the healing power of comedy and comedy yeah. is a common, you know, common thing amongst us. And I don't know that I necessarily believed it, but in working on the book and talking to a lot of the um, performers and, and directors who were part of the shows immediately following September 11th in the States, yeah. it was actually really, really moving to hear about how the show in the in the ETC theater in Chicago, firefighters and first responders from New York were being flown in to come see the show because of the, you know, the cathartic experience yeah. of not making fun of the events, not sending up those events at all, but rather everyone's reactions to them and how we sort of learn to navigate our relationships post that you know, tragedy um, in a way that was, you know, it's really, it was really interesting to kind of see that and see how it was something that could really change people or bring people together in a way that was probably a little bit risky and unexpected because how do you jump into comedy after something like that? It's like that moment when uh, when S- SNL came back after 9-11 for their first episode and Lauren Michaels got up on stage and uh, Giuliani was there ba- back when he was the likable Giuliani. <laughs> <That> was, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> pre, pre, yeah, Trump yeah, Giuliani. But <laughs> Lauren came on stage and he said, is it okay for us to laugh now? You know, and it was so important for people to get back to comedy instead of ignoring this elephant in the in the room and this terrible thing that had just happened on the world stage to sort of get back to normal and get back to doing what they do, which is making light of and talking about these things that are going on around us is, is so important. Yeah, I think uh, we know that it's always okay to laugh because the laughter comes from the truth. Yeah. And that's the core of our comedy is we look at the truth that's going on in our world and we magnify it a little bit to make that point. But the truth resonates with our audience and that's why this demographic of different generations and different cultures all in our audience can all laugh at the same thing because they see the truth in it. And we may vary how we present our shows, but we all will stay uh, focused on presenting the truth and the sides that exist within that in a satirical way. And And to Kevin's point, I think I was just going to add that I think the truth comes out when we have casts that can kind of represent that right now and casts that are getting way way more diversified with ethnic backgrounds and sexually oriented backgrounds and all that stuff just kind of spreads the truth more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, because as much as the world changes around us, I mean, Second City is still doing that. It's adapting and changing with the times. So the cast and the writers are very reflective of that. And I think before we go to break, the interesting thing about that is despite how how big of a sort of comedy brand Second City has become, it still has always stayed true to its roots. I mean, as big as the training center is and as big, you know, as much of a household brand as it is, the process is still very much the same. Yeah, that hasn't changed. Despite the fact that if you're in Toronto or you're in Chicago, you might not know who any of the cast members are. You might not even know what the current main stage show is, but you're in town, so you're going to go to the Second City because you have a chance to do that. And I think... For it to be that known of a thing and still the process is the same as it kind of always was. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. I think that speaks to the longevity of it, right? Same process, free improv set after the show, 
and no two drink minimum. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. that, I mean, really, that's important too. That's, yeah, that's not changing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll be back with more. Sixty years of Second City right here on Inside Jokes. Hey, this is Rodrigo Fernandez Stoll, star of the North by Northeast Music Festival, and you're listening to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 642. Oh, yeah. Welcome back, Canada. You are tuned in to Inside Jokes right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I don't know why I always have to do the desk slap. <laughs> That's my so. thing. Everybody right? slap. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody there slap. That's like, like my it. version of the pencil throw. That's all I have. Yeah, it's you an know? audible exclamation it's mark. It's an audible exclamation mark. Uh, of course, we have Second City, 60 years. We have this book, The Second City, Essentially Accurate History. It is essentially accurate. And available where, Liz Kozak? Wherever books are sold. So for listeners who don't know, uh, anybody 25 or under, there are still bookstores. <laughs> or you can get it on Amazon if you mm-hmm. prefer. Or the trunk of my car. Or the trunk of Frank's car. Uh, but it's beautiful. So it details 60 years of Second City, uh, stories, memories, classic casts, people you might not have heard of, uh, and sort of... Hopefully opens it up to a new generation as well. You can pick one up at the box office at the Toronto Theatre when you come to see see a show. As you should. Mm-hmm. That's a good segue. And Kevin Frank, speaking of, what do we have coming up here in Toronto? Well, of course, uh, we are currently running If I Could Hashtag Throwback Time, which is a great satirical sketch review. Uh, we also have a touring company that's doing a Valentine's show that's about dating, and it's hilarious. Um, we've got an education cast that performs for high schools that uh, works with curriculum-based um, material. Uh, and the training center is open for classes. You can go to secondcity.com training center and sign up for classes. We have room for you. We run seven days a week. We have 70 faculty and 1,100 oh students gosh. coming through our doors every week. What would you say, Kevin, to, you know, because we get a lot of listeners who are thinking about trying improv, thinking of trying sketch stand-up. What would your one quick piece of advice be to somebody who's like, I don't know, should I? I've thought about this before. I would say don't worry about being funny. Yeah. The funny takes care of itself. Just focus on the exercises and and, just, and sort of do a self-evaluation of how it makes you feel and how you react to make it successful. And that's what you're focusing on. We have drop-ins. So if people just want to stick their toe in the water, they can come to a two-hour drop-in and see if it's for them. I know that we have a great turnover rate that once they've done a couple of drop-ins, they sign up for classes. Once they get that bug. And just sort of, I think it's about that initial letting that fear of it go and just sort of giving yourself over to it right and chris siddiqui yes sir where can we find you where can we see you my friend you can see me actually uh, i we're talking about creating material from second city myself and another fellow second city alumni nigel downer we took our experience of being people of color living in toronto and we made a show out of it so we have a mini series eight episodes playing on uh cbc gem right now so Beautiful. you can go bitplayers.com the show is called bit players because that's who we are in this world. We're just a bunch of bit players. <laughs> so we thought we'd take advantage of that and write who we are. Nigel and I are a bunch of nerds. So uh, it's mixed in our lives, living in Toronto, mixed in with a bunch of nerd references. So you can see me there. 
Beautiful. Thank you to our panel. Check out BitPlayers. And of course, if you're here in Toronto, go and see a show at the Second City. Uh, go and see why it has become what it is. And if you are thinking about taking a shot at it, go. Go. Dip your toes in. Do a drop-in. Just take that plunge and go try improv. Thank you to our guests. And of course, you can tune into us every Sunday right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And you can find all of our past episodes, season four and beyond, online on the Global News Radio Network. That's our show. We'll be back next week. Hi, this is Alicia Carusi. And you're listening to my aunt, Sandra Carusi's Comedy RX. And now a classic bit from SCTV. Hello, people. Welcome to What Fits Into Russia. Yesterday, the last country we put in place was Angola. And look, ha, with these other countries, not even half feeling Mother Russia because of its enormous size. And look at rest of world. <laughs> He's almost gone. So today, let's put the so-called giant country of Argentina into place. Look! It looks like tiny sausage against the vast, colossal size of Mother Russia. But that is only a country, you say. What about the continent? Surely there is a continent somewhere in the world big enough to fill Mother Russia. Well, too bad for capitalist convicts and kangaroos who inhabit this godforsaken place, Australia. We put this into place. There we go. Look. Giant continent, ha! Giant joke! <laughs> it is a shame to cover the beauty of the Ukraine with it. But fortunately, because of Russia's enormous size, the Ukraine is not totally covered. <laughs> you viewers at home are enjoying this, I'll bet. <laughs> uh, yesterday, we exposed some Mississippi myths. And for today's lesson to the Americans about the incredible size superiority of the Soviets, Let's put the Longhorn anti-Leninists of Texas in their place. So long, Lone Star State. <laughs> you look like a tiny star set against the vast, colossal sky of Mother Russia. <laughs> oh, too bad we are out of time. But, as you can see, this show will be going on for quite a while. See you tomorrow.